welcome to the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast for the week of November 9, 2015. This is episode 277, and I am Chris Bevelo, EVP at Revive Health. Uh, I'm alone, but not alone. We have a very special uh, episode this week. But before I get to that, just want to remind you to check out JoePublicRetreat.com. We have a new Joe Public Retreat scheduled for February of 2016. Our last one in September was a huge hit. Uh, we had a great collection of folks there. Some of the top marketers and systems represented uh, had some amazing conversations, digging into some of the challenges that many of you guys face. So uh, if you haven't heard about it, go check it out. It's at a beautiful resort in South Carolina uh, called, I believe, the Inn at Palmetto Bluff. Uh, just spectacular place to get away from it all uh, and then recharge your batteries and challenge your brain because that's what it's all about for two and a half solid days with myself and Chris Boyer and others. So make sure you go to JoePublicRetreat.com. As you know, we limit it to 20 folks and they go fast. The spots go fast. So uh, if you're interested, get in there and register. So with that, let's get to the special part of this uh, special episode, because today I have joining with me as a guest, Phil Camp, who is co-founder and chief strategy officer at Valence Health. Phil, hi, how are you? Morning, I'm good. Good, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, is this your first podcast ever? This is my first podcast ever, yes. Wow. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a listener of podcasts? Because it's kind of either you are or you aren't typically for people. I am not. Okay. So my goal is by the end of this show that you're going to feel so comfortable, excited about podcasts, you're going to want to run out and uh, find some others to listen to because it's really kind of a cool endeavor to listen to podcasts. But now you're in one. So that's really all that matters. So tell us, tell us about yourself. Give us a little background about yourself. How long have you been at Valence? What did you do before that? All that good stuff. Sure. So, uh, so I'm a co-founder, as you mentioned, of Valence, and we've been around, uh, we're coming up on our 20th anniversary uh, in March. And so um, I have been the CEO of the organization for 19 and a half years, so no promotions. And uh, about three months ago, we're growing at such a pace that uh, I decided we really needed to bring in a new CEO. So I've changed roles to the chief strategy officer. So in 20 years, I've gotten not only no promotions, but I've actually given myself a demotion. Yeah. That's funny. So uh, what about, what about uh, hobbies, family? What can you t tell us just a teeny bit about yourself personally? Sure. So um, I'm married. I have three children and I now have a, my, our first grandchild. So we have a grandson. Um, they are, they live in Denver and, uh, we get pictures at least five or six times a day. Technology is a great thing. Yeah. Um, we have actually seen, um, him probably about every sec, every other week we've actually been at either they've come to us or we've gone there. So even though they're a thousand miles away, we've got to see him quite a bit. And that's a whole nother thing to actually have a grandchild. So it's a, uh, it's actually a fun, fun experience. You can hand it back when you're done. Yeah, I bet. Maybe a little bigger deal than being on your first podcast. Yeah, that's what I would guess. <laughs> Maybe. So, so we're going to get into, uh, you know, Phil's been briefed. He knows, he knows who you all are out in the audience and in uh, what we typically talk about. And we're going to get to some things I think are going to be really interesting for those folks that work in hospitals and health systems in terms of uh, their marketing communication uh, challenges in one specific area. Before we get to that, though, Phil, why don't you give us a little background on Valence itself? 
Sure. So, uh, as I said, Balance has been around about 20 years. The the real vision of the company was um, a belief that providers should be in charge of how healthcare is delivered. And for them to be in charge, they need to be responsible for the financial risk and the quality of care of, of the healthcare industry. And so, um, the risk piece, the financial risk piece, is the piece that I think providers really struggle with. Usually, it's the insurance companies at risk, not the providers. So, so with that belief, what we said to ourselves was, we got to help providers succeed in that. And so, we built an organization really around what we think of as three functions. One is um, really around consulting and the strategy around how you get into risk and how you get into becoming a provider-sponsored health plan. Certainly, it doesn't apply to everybody. Healthcare is very local. Um, each situation is going to be different. There's a whole bunch of things that you need to do on the consulting end of it. Then um, you need a whole series of analytics to actually manage the risk. And so we have built a series of products over the years around the managing of the risk and the quality. And the third piece is actually managing the risk itself. So we get into the operational pieces. So if an organization actually becomes a provider-sponsored health plan, um, they could outsource um, all the functions or some of the functions to us. So we pay claims, member services, you know, medical management, all the functions you would need to do to run a health plan. So we think we, by having the consulting piece, the analytics and the services piece, those three things are really what you, that drives providers getting into risk. And they can do different levels of risk. Um, they could move along the risk spectrum. They can start slow and move into it quickly. And we have the ability to support them. So that's been the vision of the company since the beginning. And so it really hasn't changed. What happened was in 2008, nine, uh, we had the Affordable Care Act, which really, um, really was a really supported what we were doing. Uh, really was trying to move um, providers to be in charge of how healthcare is delivered through accountable care organizations and other approaches. And so it really was. What we thought should have happened in 1996, it took to 2008, to get there, but uh, we were a patient organization. Sure, sure. So I, I want to talk more about the provider-sponsored health plans because I know you guys have put out a, a book on it. We'll touch on that in a second. And certainly we're, we'll dive even a little bit deeper uh, because I think for folks who listen to our podcast, for many or, uh, provider organizations and certainly for the marketers involved with them, trying to figure out what to do with a provider-sponsored health plan. Uh, how do you build a brand? How do you market it? That kind of thing is foreign territory for me. But you just mentioned the ACA. Uh, we're seeing this growing trend of provider-sponsored health plans. Uh, how much is it, you know, how big is this growth from your perspective? Is it, is it you know, what's the emergence? What's the, what's the adoption rate of something like this? Is it a quarter of the systems out there doing something like this? Is it half? Is it more? Why specifically are they getting into it without getting into the nitty gritty of the ACA? What's the benefit to a provider organization to launch their own health plan? Give us some background on that specifically. Okay, that was a, that was a lot, but let me yep. try to address it. So, um, so f first of all, um, there is a, a series of different levels of risk that providers could get into. The ultimate level is a provider-sponsored health plan, but they can certainly do other levels of risk, and, and I'll mention those because it's important in the trends. So you can do as a provider, you can have an, a, a relationship with an insurer in which you're at risk for the medical spend. So, for example, the health plan has a premium, say it's $100 per member per month, 
they can pass $90 to you, and in, with that $90, you're responsible for all the medical expense. It's right before becoming a health plan, but right. it's really managing the medical expense. And then there's other levels of risk that go before that. So, so that's important to understand relative to the trends. So in the marketplace today, um, there are studies that basically say, you know, probably 25% uh, and I, and I want to use another term that, that's, that's out there in the marketplace called value-based care. And really what value-based care is, it's trying to combine the quality of the care and some responsibility for the cost of the care into, into a value. And so there's different levels of value and risk associated with that. So today, uh, the market says about 25% of reimbursement for hospitals and physicians is in what would be called value-based care. Now, I would call it value-based care light in that they're mostly kinds of things that are um, what I would call uh, uh, pay-per-performance kinds of things. So you do something and you get an extra payment, or you don't do something and you get a deduction, okay? You're still paid on a fee-for-service basis, but there is an incentive associated with the value. And so um, that kind of thing is still, it's still fee-for-service, so it's, there's not a lot of risk, but there's some risk relative to your performance. You can move that all the way to, the, to what I would call uh, risk-heavy, which is the example I gave you of right. a percentage of premium where, you know, if you spend 75 and you got 90, you make 15. If you spend 110 and you got 90, you lost, you know, you lost money. And so, and then all the way to a health plan, which is obviously the ultimate level of risk. So... So the, the trend is about 25% today is, is, is value-based care. Most of that is risk light. The market is moving to by 2018. There's an expectation that it's going to be something like 75 to 80% value-based care. And the vast majority of that is going to be in what I'll call risk-heavy. Okay. So, so now that's the trend. Now the question is, how much is risk heavy and then how much is, is provider-sponsored health plans? And I would say that I would expect that, you know, something like 25 to 30% of the risk heavy will be actually providers getting into health plans. That's a huge shift. That's a dramatic shift in just three years to go from where we're at the way you've described it to the vast majority of reimbursement being value-based care and most of it being, like you said, risk heavy. That's a, that's a big deal. Right. And, and the reason, you know, there are, I'd say there's three general markets that, you, that I would look at. So there's the commercial space, there is the Medicaid space, and then there's the Medicare space. Okay. And I think it's important that, that that's understood. So in Medicare, you know, Medicare is, is certainly developed a philosophy that what we need to do, what they need to do is, is, is have the providers be responsible for the costs, right? And so they're pushing things like ACOs, they're pushing different kinds of risk arrangements, and they're making, they're creating the right incentives to, for organizations to become provider-sponsored health plans. And so that, that, there's a push there. On the Medicaid side, most states have already taken their Medicaid recipients and put them into health plans. So, you know, before Medicaid was the payer, right? So if, if a person was on Medicaid and they went to a hospital, the hospital would bill the state and the state would pay that bill, okay? And so the, the payer was, the, was the, the state or the Medicaid plan. Today, most states have said, I am, I am going to contract with Medicaid health plans 
Most of for most of them for profit, but quite a few of them are provider sponsored. And I am going to eliminate my risk as the state. I'm going to give those health plans the premium, and they're now the insurance company, and they will pay the providers. Okay, and that's happened in the vast majority of states at this point. Other states are are working through processes to get there. So, so but that's still. The providers as individuals are still getting, often we're getting paid on a fee-for-service basis from those insurance companies, from those Medicaid insurance companies. The states are now saying, and largely in some states are saying, I don't know what to do, and I'm asking providers to come up with creative ways of getting into this business and helping us. Because they also know that providers really need to be in charge of how healthcare is delivered, and they've got to be responsible for the cost and the quality. So there's a big trend in that space, and there's actually quite a few Medicaid health plans at this point, and it's really state-specific that are provider-sponsored. So for example, in Texas, there's actually quite a few provider-sponsored health plans at this point in time focusing on the Medicaid population. Other states have not done that, and it's, so it's gonna be very state-specific. And on the commercial business, the reason historically provider-sponsored health plans have, have been, I would say, less successful is really around um, the, uh, mark, the marketing and sales piece. And really what it is, is if you think about, um, think about a city like Chicago, and you're an employer in Chicago, and you have you have employees all over the city, mm-hmm. and so you need when you decide as a as an employer who your payer is going to be, who your insurance company is going to be, you need to have a very wide network that covers the entire city, right? Because you may have somebody who lives in Chicago, you may have somebody who lives in the northern suburbs, the southern suburbs, and so you can't. You've got to have a network that covers everything, okay? Right. And so what's happening today is the the exchanges, the private and public exchanges, are making it so that individuals now are making choices, which is what happens in the Medicare and Medicaid space. But now it's happening more on the commercial space. So what that means is, as an individual, I live in the city. I don't care what the network is in the northern suburbs, right? And so now a provider-sponsored health plan, which is going to tend to be a much narrower network, becomes a much more viable option because of that, okay? Yeah. And so that, that, that's also, so you've got the commercial piece moving to exchanges, you've got the Medicaid piece, which is already individuals, and the same thing with the Medicare piece. So the population of people who are looking for narrower networks is happening, okay? And so yeah. that's what's going, that's largely what's driving some of the, some of the trends here. Uh, you should write a book. About all <laughs> that's a great idea. I'm gonna think make, about it. I'm gonna make this podcast required listening for everybody in the agency and anybody else who, who doesn't listen regularly because that is one of the best descriptions of the trends that are going on. It, it makes it really easy to understand. Um, and I'm joking because you have written a book, so let's talk about that. The book is titled Helping Solve the U.S. Healthcare Crisis The Provider's Guide to Building a Successful Health Plan. Uh, written by you and uh, your co-founder and current president, Todd Stockard. So what was the inspiration for the book? Why did you guys decide to write it? Well, it's a a lot around what we've been talking about. So first of all, we believe providers should be in charge, and that's the ultimate way of being in charge of of healthcare. So so a couple of facts. First of all, if you, when studies have been done on the performance of provider-sponsored health plans versus for-profit Uh, health plans. And and the statistics are pretty clear that provider-sponsored health plans are lower cost and higher quality. And so so that's certainly a driver of it. The the second is, unless we get into this, 
we, you know, providers, um, and, and they've been somewhat reluctant to get into the risk game because they think it's risky, right? right. And, and what, what part of what we're, the message we're trying to get out is risk is actually a lot less risky for a provider than it is for an insurance company. And let me just give you an example of that. And so if you're um, a payer, you know, a normal insurance company, and you have a patient that's in a hospital, and that patient costs $50,000, that insurance company has a direct expense of $50,000 for that patient, right? It's, it's, that's their risk for that care. So now pretend you're the hospital that's the insurance company, and that patient is in, is in your hospital. What does it cost you to provide care for that patient? 75 to 80% of hospital costs are fixed. So to provide care for that patient is much less. It's 5,000, 10,000. So if, you, if you're a CFO and you're sitting there going, I'm a 300 bed hospital, I have 250 beds full, and I, and I fill 251 beds, how much more does it cost me to provide care for that one more patient in the hospital? It's almost nothing. Okay. And another way to think about this, and if you talk to CFOs and you say to them, okay, if you're a half a billion dollar hospital system, and I told you next year you were going to get a half a billion dollars, would, a hot, would you say it's more risk or less risk? And I would tell you every CFO would say it's less risk. And that is full capitation. That is full risk in, if that, in that scenario. So, so the concept of risk on the provider side is much less risky for a provider getting into it than an right. insurance company getting into it. So that's a message. And, a, and, and on top of that, you know, that they provide it in a better, better, do it better from a quality and a cost perspective. So, so, that, so that was the inspiration, right, for the book and for our company is we got to put providers in charge if we're going to manage the healthcare costs in the country. That's great. I, you know, I want to, I don't know if you're familiar with our market. I'm up in Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, but this gives me flashbacks to about 20 years ago. I think it was about 20 years ago. Uh, we had a pretty aggressive attorney general in our state. Uh, and as attorney generals often do, he's trying to make a name for himself. He wants to run for governor. He wants to hire office. Uh, and he went after, uh, we had, and I think it was fair. I don't know how widespread it was back then. Two large systems that were integrated in this sense. So they had provider-sponsored health plans as part of their organization. Uh, and he wanted to split them up. He wanted to break them apart for whatever reasons. Uh, and so he went after one and he split the biggest one apart. So Alina is the biggest system uh, in the Twin Cities. And they had a health plan that was called Medica and he, and he forced them to sell that off. There was one other one called Health Partners and the CEO held her ground. Mary Brandon is her name. And she said, no, this is, this is the way we need to be doing it. This is, this is how we control the costs in healthcare. This is having the people who are actually delivering the care responsible for this side of it is a big, big difference. And she held her ground and they still are uh, integrated uh, system in that way. So it's just, it's so interesting to me that we've kind of come to a place now uh, and it's not just now, obviously, like you said, it's been since the ACA or maybe even longer, where people recognize that this is actually a beneficial approach, not a, a negative. Right. I, I agree. And so, yeah, you're, you're, the other thing you said that's absolutely true is, you know, back in the 90s, there was a lot of effort in providers moving into risk and building their own provider-sponsored health plans. And, and quite a few of them um, did not succeed. And so, so there was certainly, and, and the question I'm always asked is, you know, why today is it better than back then? Right. And, and, there's, and there's reasons. One, you know, a couple of them is, uh, I mentioned three that are, that are very critical. One is the, the data and the analytics 
are much, much stronger today than they were back in the 90s. And so the ability to actually know what's going on is, is key. The other thing we saw back in the 90s, and, and this was more of uh, doing risk contracts with insurance companies, was the deals that were cut were, were just, they were so one-sided on the insurance company side that there was no chance of the deal succeeding. And so the, the capabilities on the provider side to know what actually happens on the insurance side just didn't exist. And so there was a, there was a, there was a void of capabilities. So hospital people know how to run hospitals. Right. You, know, you know, physician practices know how to run physician practices, but they didn't know how to run an insurance company. And so it was very different. So having that capability becomes very critical. One of the things we saw back then was um, you would, you know, a seat, uh, an organization would decide to become a health plan and they would take the director of finance from the hospital and put them in charge of it. Now, that person knew how to do, you know, revenue cycle in the hospital. I had no idea to run an insurance company. Right. And so you had a lot of those kinds of issues that happened. So people are much smarter today. We have better analytics. Um, insurance companies, when they do these kinds of deals, understand that it's, it, you got to make it so it works for both parties. And right. so there's a lot more knowledge at this point in time and what makes these things work. So, so who is the book written for specifically? Who do you want to, to pick this up in terms of uh, individual, you know, positions or titles or uh, who's the target for it? I assume primarily in the provider space. Yes. Yes. I, so um, generally speaking, I would say if, when we think about titles within an organization, you know, the, the main person, you know, who's got to be the sponsor of this kind of concept is going to be the CEO, right? This is a major shift in in how they get paid and how they play in the marketplace so it's got to be sponsored by this by the ceo i would say the the organization it, usually it's it's driven by somebody like a chief strategy officer in an organization is going to be heavily involved in this um but it's usually the ceo chief strategy officer that's sort of driving where should we go how should we do this how do we improve market share? You know, how do we relate to payers if we become a payer? There's a whole bunch of those kinds of questions. And then, you know, the CFO is typically going to be a, um, a toll gate is the way I would like to think of right. it. So CFO is either going to be somebody who looks at risk and says, I don't want to do risk, or the, the CFO is looking at it more from a strategic level and saying, this makes sense for us for these these reasons. And so... Certainly the organization, the board of directors is going to look to the CFO from a financial perspective to get a reaction from that individual. So that's why I'm saying they're a toll gate. And so we've seen CFOs that are very, very supportive of this. And we've seen CFOs that, you know, are not interested in it because of, you know, whether it's history, whether it's their right. thoughts around risk. I'm not going to say they're, they're wrong, but I think they, you know, they become a toll gate. Got it. All right. So let's talk about one more audience and the audience for our podcast here. Uh, you know, the book chapter five, there's a, there is a whole chapter in the book that covers sales and marketing of a, of a, well, of a provider sponsored health plan specifically. Uh, this is different than some of the other things you're talking about, but talking about that specifically, like I mentioned before, new territory for the folks that we work with all the time, the marketers, uh, the communicators. So, you know, other than, you know, the book itself, which is going to have great advice in it. What advice do you, do you have for them? What are a couple nuggets you could pull out that are important for them to understand as they are tasked with, Hey, we need to build a brand. Uh, we need to market this particular service that we're, that we're offering now. 
Sure. So the main the main thing is around uh, who your audience is, right? And so when you're a hospital or a physician practice, you know you're certainly marketing to the consumer, but your but the vast majority of your marketing is probably or your focus is probably more the insurance companies that that you're having relationships with, and so now your your focus needs to change to you know in an employer situation it's. HR people, it's consultants who are supporting those organizations and helping select the health plan. It's a chief financial officer in those organizations. And so your focus on the, if you're a commercial, if you're looking to become a commercial health plan, it's going to be around, you know, who, which groups you're going to be able to get into your, you know, what is the marketing? Who do you go pursue? Is it large employers and they're self-insured? Is it, is it small employers? Um, do you work with brokers? I mean, there are different kinds of people that you're going to need to relate to in this space. In the Medicaid and Medicare space, it's going to be it's going to be very 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 different. So, in the Medicaid space, usually you're not allowed to do um, marketing and sales. So it's usually a process in which it's going to be the what's going to be important is the name of the organization is going to be very critical. So one of the things that we have found is in, if you're becoming a Medicaid health plan. Um, and most of the people covered in that are, are um, kids and, and pregnant women. Are, and so, for example, children's hospitals are going to have a, a mar- large marketing advantage that they can take advantage of in, in a space by putting their name on the, on the, on the door. So we've seen Got that it. where children's hospitals getting into the Medicaid health plan business, just the fact that their name is on the plan, um, they get tremendous market share. Got it. Okay. Really valuable stuff. So before we start wrapping up here, is there anything else you want to share uh, about the book or about the trends? Is there any, you know, one last thing that you just, Hey, as, as long as you remember this one thing, this is it. Yeah. I, to me, it's, um, I, I think each organization needs to critically think about what they're going to do in value-based care. And so it's an individual decision um, I would think through your strategy, and your strategy could be very different on the Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial side, but think through your strategy, and then when you start thinking about, okay, I've got this strategy that it makes sense for me to do something, but I am not, I don't have the ability to do it, I think that that question is you can get help to get those pieces that you need to get done. And so I think it's important that you build your strategy and implement your strategy, but there are certain pieces that you may build, you may buy, you may rent. And so understand the, the complete list of things functionally that you need to do and make sure you're filling those gaps in. But this, I would think through the strategy first and then figure out how you can answer those questions because they all can be answered. It's a puzzle that can be filled in. Okay. Awesome. So this is a time in the, in the podcast where we usually devolve into something that's, um, you know, trivial and walking dead-ish and those kind of things. So especially with the guests, we want to kind of learn more about the guests. But um, in chatting with you, uh, you know, we discovered something that's not so trivial, right? So you are a, uh, what's the best way to put this? You're a globally renowned photographer or a, a globally traveled photographer. Is that a fair statement? Oh, I think I now am because of all the people on the podcast. I think before people. this. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so what does I would that mean? Say that I'm, I would say I'm an enthusiastic photographer that's, that's done quite a few uh, interesting trips. So, um, and I can relate one of those to you that I think yes. is uh, actually an interesting experience. So 
a couple years ago, um, my family and I took a trip to Africa and we did your safari and that was incredible. And, and, you know, when I go on a trip, um, I, I try to get, my goal is to get, you know, three or four, what I'll call wall shots, right. On any trip. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's, that's my goal. I, and by the way, on this trip, um, and on our office, you know, I, you know, you, if you went through our office, you, you'd see some of the photos, but I probably got 50, you know, it was a very different kind of trip. So people who haven't done it, I would highly recommend it. But the last part of our trip is we went to Rwanda and, um, we trekked to gorillas, uh, for two days. And so, wow. uh, let me just to sort of describe that. And, and we, you know, in preparation, you were told you were going to be hiking up these mountains and, you know, it's going to, they can be, um, you know, it could be very strenuous. And so, you know, we all got ready. So it was my wife, my, um, me and, uh, three of our children and one of our children is, is married. So it was, he, he, he went on. So it was four kids and the two of us. And so we meet, at the, you know, you meet with your guide uh, at the, in this one location and the guide describes the gorilla tribe you're going to go see. And this particular one had 17 gorillas and uh, it had three silverbacks as part of the group. And, and he says, you, you know, we're going to hike up and we're going to find them. And, um, you know, you'll never get closer than seven meters to the gorillas, but you'll, you know, it'll be a wonderful experience to see how they interact and things. Okay. So we start hiking up in the first hour and a half of the hike is like any kind of hill you'd have or mountain you'd have in the United States. It's a path that you're going up right. and then you get to this plateau and uh, the terrain completely changes. It is this incredibly dense forest that, um, you know, somebody has got a machete and clearing out space as you wow. go under things. And, and um, so we get to a spot and, you know, now you're drenched, you're sweating. And the guide says, by the way, there were trackers ahead of us finding the gorilla tribe because they're not like, waiting in an arena for you, right? <laughs> right. So they're, they're, right. they're wherever they are. And she says, we're really close. We're five minutes away. You know, put all your gear down. Just take your camera with you. So, all right, so we do that. And we're still trudging through this very deep forest. Um, and, you know, you're walking on, it's not a path, right? You're, it's hard to yeah. step. Um, and it's kind of on the side of a hill. And we come around this bend, and there is a silverback gorilla that is 10 feet from us. So we're already outside of what he already told us. And this thing is, you know, probably 600 pounds. And, you know, it's the guide, my wife and me, and then the, then our kids. And you're just kind of like staring at it like, oh, my God. And the guy turns to us and says, um, take out your camera, start taking pictures. And he starts talking about the gorillas paying no attention to us. He's just eating. He, right. They eat everything that's there. And so uh, he's talking about it, and the gorilla takes a couple of steps away from us. And then they, the ground, by the way, doesn't, you know, slow them down. They just, they're, right. they're on all fours. They move very quickly. And so he just makes a mad dash at us. And, <laughs> and, and uh, he's only 12, 15 feet away when he starts. Right. And the guy clear a path he's coming through. So uh, my wife is first, and again, we're on the side of the hill. Our son pulls her up out of the way, and I tried going down the hill, and I did not move fast enough, and the gorilla launched me. He just shoved me oh, no way. Launched me in the air, and he went through the complete group. We actually have it on video, uh, and I've actually used it in presentations that we had. And so um, the funny thing at the end of the video, so there the other person in the group is a guy with an Uzi just in case. And so oh, wow. the in the back of the group, 
the guy, the guy with the Uzi, you know, the gorilla is just running through, and the guy with the Uzi turns his back to the gorilla, and my son has this incredible video of the gorilla just launching it. It's like off a diving board. He went like 20 feet in the air, disappeared into the brush, um, and, and the gorilla, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to hurt anybody. We were just in his way. And so, anyway, so that was the first five-minute experience in, uh, with the with gorillas. So, incredible experience. If somebody told me it was going to happen, it would have been – I'm glad I didn't know it was going to happen, but it's uh, one of the cool things that did happen. So That's anyway. amazing. That's amazing. And for some reason, I'm thinking, like – I know this is how my mind works. I'm thinking you could use this in presentations, like you said, and the gorilla is value-based care. And yeah. you are, you are CFOs who are, you know, trying to get to it and see what it's like. And just, you know, just want to take some pictures, take a look. And that's what's happening right with the market is that it's turning exactly. and it's barreling right at you. So you either better yeah. get on board or get out of the way or something like that. That's an exactly. incredible story. And you weren't hurt yeah. or anything? No, actually the, 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 we have a great video, you know, people were just taking pictures, right? So, um, so there, there were actually eight of us. So there were six of us and they pair another couple with us and they were a French couple. And, um, so we have this picture of me completely on the ground. Right. Um, and, um, we have the, in the pictures, my daughter laughing hysterically and this French woman helping to pick me up. So none of my kids, they just thought it was hysterical that I just got shoved by this gorilla where everybody, where this French woman was actually concerned whether oh, I got hurt. I actually had a cut hard. above my eye, but it was from my camera hitting my forehead. Sure. sure. Oh, wow. That is an amazing story. Well, I'm glad it all turned out okay. But um, yeah, that would be kind of shocking to turn the corner. There it is like that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, Phil, it's been great having you. Very, very great having you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, like I said before, I wasn't joking. I think this is, we do this podcast every week and uh, sometimes we get into some really good stuff. Sometimes it's a little light, but this is one of those where I feel like it's, it's must hear list podcast. You, you really, for, for folks in our field, and I can tell you that most of the marketers and communicators that listen to this as an industry uh, struggle with understanding the things that you describe, but you did such a good job of, of describing what's going on. Uh, I just thought it was phenomenal. So really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, it was enjoy. I enjoyed doing it. Thank you so much. I will now begin to watch other podcasts. Thank you I, so I, much. I think you should. And I think you guys, and I think this has been discussed before, but I think you should take this seriously. You should, Valence should do a podcast. There is, you could do, you could probably do it weekly, but even monthly, if your target audience were CEOs, CFOs, there is undoubtedly so much you could talk about. I mean, just in our podcast today, but think how deep you could go with the people that actually live this world and, and have to deal with it. Uh, the trends and the things that you see in the news and oh, in this market, we've got some interesting things going on. You could actually, you could not just listen to podcasts and watch podcasts. You could join the podcast movement on this side of the table. So I encourage that. Okay. I think it makes sense. You know, we, we have a message to get out and it, and it's, uh, you know, the, the market is picking up on this stuff and it makes a lot of sense and, and it's logical, right? It, it providers should be in charge. And so how you actually get there is I think the biggest dilemma for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to sign off. So for the healthcare marketing underground podcast, this is Chris Bevelo and. Go camp. Thanks for Thank joining so us much. everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Phil. Bye now.